Let's go into your next case. The next patient is a 63-year-old male with extensive small cell lung cancer. He presented initially with some acid reflux and then hoarseness and a 20-pound weight loss and eventually had a chest x-ray and this showed that he had a 9-centimeter and a 3.5-centimeter anterior medius, actually two adjacent anterior mediastinal masses and no other disease seen on the CT scan. What was his smoking history? Yeah, he has actually, it's a little bit interesting. He, up until just the start of this, he smoked a pack of cigarettes per day, and he began smoking. He's one of these people that began smoking at age eight. And to make it more interesting, he was raised on a tobacco farm. Wow. So I don't know how many carcinogens are in the air in a tobacco (laughs) farm. but, But anyway, he made it worse by starting to smoke as a child. Ron, how often do you see people with small cell who aren't smokers? Pretty rarely. I've only seen one case of small cell lung cancer in a non-smoker and about three or four cases in patients who were former smokers and had stopped smoking for 10, 15 years. This is the form of lung cancer that's most strongly associated with cigarette smoking. And what's his life situation, Bob? Working, family? He has family. He's pretty much alone here in Southern California, and he's on disability because of heart disease. When I saw him, his daughter from Ohio was out, and she has remained with him, and it's now about six weeks that she's been here to support him. And what's his cardiac history? He's had coronary and peripheral arterial stents. I don't think he's had an MI. He also had a CVA at one time, but he has no residual. What was his state of mind when you first met him, Bob? And I'm also curious in general about him and patients in general, whether or not you ever get into this issue of the regrets they might have about smoking. Of course, as you say, he was brought up in a tobacco farm. But what was his state of mind when he received the diagnosis? He's a very simple man. You know, here I am, and I'm willing to hear what's wrong, and I'll do something about it. And I think he was upset by it, but he didn't particularly express any regrets, although in other patients I certainly have heard that. But no, he didn't have any regrets. He was just willing to go along with whatever I recommended. Very unsophisticated approach on his part. So how was he treated? What happened was we didn't have a diagnosis at that time, and the initial CT scan, which was done without contrast, didn't show any metastatic disease. And I had recommended a mediastinoscopy, for diagnosis, preferring not to stick a needle into his mediastinum. The surgeon, who was a cardiac surgeon, and this is a point Ron may want to expand on, and it wasn't actually wasn't my choice, but sometimes in practice, again, one of the issues is referrals, and the person who makes the referral decides on who the surgeon is. So the patient ended up scheduled for a needle biopsy and had the needle biopsy, and also then developed what seemed to be an acute exacerbation of COPD and was hospitalized and was wheezing and severely short of breath and very symptomatic. He had never been hospitalized before for similar symptoms. No pneumothorax? No pneumothorax. What do you think happened that he decompensated with the biopsy? Well, I don't think it was actually the biopsy. I think that it was his disease. Hmm. That was my thinking at the time when I saw him in the hospital because it was not symptoms you would expect from a biopsy. He was wheezing on both sides, and he was responding very slowly, if at all, to bronchodilators. 
So just thinking back on this, Ron, what are your thoughts about what happened when the biopsy occurred? And, you know, obviously he was fragile from the beginning with his smoking history, his cardiac history, a lot of disease in the chest. How would you have approached getting tissue? Yeah, no, this patient had a, you know, huge amount of very proximal disease. You know, small cell lung cancer, unlike non-small cell, is a very proximal cancer and it grows submucosally. So this is disease that can cause mainstream bronchial obstruction rather quickly in the course of the disease history. And I think that, as Bob said, I think this acute exacerbation was really the impending complete obstruction of this large proximal mass. He had you know, the entire mediastinum filled and the entire left hilum filled with disease directly invading you know, into the mediastinum from that disease along with a small pleural effusion and during the hospitalization what was then proven to be liver metastases. So what exactly was the extent of his disease, Bob? Well, it turned out we did get more imaging on him, and he had multiple, fairly small, but multiple liver metastases and a pleural effusion. So how was he treated? Well, he was very sick and was very short of breath, wheezing. Just It looked like a typical acute exacerbation of COPD, but I was very concerned about it not being that, about it being symptoms from his tumor. So I started him within a couple of days of his being admitted on carboetoposide chemotherapy. And he did very well. He started to turn around. I don't know if he was turning around from the chemo, but it was starting to improve. And within a week, he was much, much better. So I definitely think the chemotherapy made a big difference in his symptoms. So can you bring us up to date? This week is his second course of therapy. He looks very good. He has not much of a voice, but otherwise is feeling better. He's not particularly short of breath. He is much happier. He's eating well, and he's doing very well after just one course. So, Ron, can you reflect back on the treatment that was chosen, the carboatoposide, and also your research that's looked at the question of the optimal chemo regimen in this situation? Well, carboatoposide was exactly the right chemotherapy regimen to treat this patient with extensive stage small cell lung cancer who's got left vocal cord paralysis, impending mainstream obstruction, huge anterior mediastinal mass, liver metastases, possible exacerbation of COPD. And as sick as he was, Bob did what oncologists should do. You give this patient chemotherapy. When you've got a diagnosis of small cell lung cancer, some patients can have a rapid and dramatic response. I saw this patient with Bob on day 21 after the start of treatment, so the day before his scheduled second cycle of chemotherapy. And the patient told you that he was responding. He was no longer short of breath. He had had a dramatic decrease in left-sided and substernal chest pain. He even said, and his daughter echoed, that his hoarseness, although it's significant, was clearly getting better. You know, we saw him in the late afternoon when patients with vocal cord paralysis, their voice is usually gone and was gone for him in the past, and he was clearly able to communicate quite well. So he clearly is responding to treatment. And what about your trial that looked at the question of optimal chemo in this situation? Well, I did a study, the head of studying the Southwest Oncology Group, that compared cisplatin etoposide, the regimen that we use in cooperative groups as our cornerstone, versus cisplatin and arinotecan. 
trying to confirm the important study done in Japan that was reported in New England Journal of Medicine that appeared to represent the first significant step forward in the treatment of patients with small cell lung cancer in over 30 years. And unfortunately, the Southwest Oncology Group study demonstrated no difference in the response rate, progression-free survival, or overall survival of patients treated with cisplatin atoposide versus cisplatin and arenotecan. There were differences in toxicity, not a difference that would favor one or the other, but we were left with that platinum and atoposide sort of remains the reference standard for the treatment of patients with small cell lung cancer. And what about cysts in a patient like this that really is you know, almost dying in front of you? Would you have used cysts? No, I think carboplatin was exactly the right choice. That's the drug that I use in the extensive stage setting off a clinical trial. Bob, you know, you talked before about, both of you actually been talking about the issue of, you know, the reward that sometimes we feel or oncologists feel when they have a successful patient treated. What do you think it means to him that he's had this response? He is clearly, although he's a very simple guy, he doesn't show a lot of emotion, I can tell you that he is very happy that he's feeling better. Just the fact that he's breathing better, that has to make anybody a bit happier. Yeah, he's looking forward to getting home to Ohio. That's right. We did talk about the fact that since the liver metastases were tiny, multiple but small, that the follow-up CT scan may demonstrate an excellent objective response. That's obviously what we're expecting, given this clinical improvement. And Bob raised the question that if the liver metastases are gone or nearly gone after two cycles of carboplatin atoposide, should I give this patient concurrent chemotherapy and radiation therapy with that third cycle? And the data does not strongly support the use of concurrent chemotherapy and radiation therapy in patients with extensive stage small cell lung cancer. But keep in mind, the data we're talking about, you know, predates the third and fourth generation of CT scans that are now picking up these smaller METs, causing a shift in staging, you know, limited stage small cell lung cancer is sort of an endangered diagnosis. So I wouldn't automatically rule it out. This, again, is one of the thoughtful decisions that each oncologist has to make regarding an individual patient. Now, when we began talking about that with this patient, he expressed his desire to want to get back to Ohio as soon as possible, so maybe not. We also talked a bit about prophylactic cranial radiation, and again, Bob is well-schooled on this. He said it'll all depend on the quality of the response. If he sees an excellent objective response that he feels has a chance for some significant duration, then he'll strongly consider PCI in this patient. I take it you agree with that? I do. 